Welcome back to another episode of Laptop Coaches. On this episode, I was joined by the head of coaching at Swansea City, Ryan Davis. Ryan speaks about his coaching journey, his current role, and what shapes his own coaching philosophy. Enjoy. Ryan, would you be able to give me a quick overview of your coaching journey so far? Um, yeah, my coaching journey is probably a bit different to other people. So uh, when I realised I wasn't going to be good enough to play, I had to sort of find ways of getting into football. And I started off um, looking at coaching, but quickly saw that a lot of the top managers, top coaches had really good playing backgrounds and that sort of put me off coaching because I had ambitions to get and be a first team level somewhere, hopefully in the Premier League one day, yeah. as you do when you're younger. And um, I thought, well, what else am I interested in? So I was interested in like sports science at the time. So I went to uni, did a sports science degree. Um, once I did that, I ended up getting an internship at Swansea City and did two years at Swansea City as a sports scientist. Um, the club had a change of um sort of strategy in the physical department and wanted more strength and conditioning coaches rather than sports scientists which meant that I was no longer needed and if I hadn't had done my coaching qualifications whilst I was at university I probably would have been out of a job um so they offered me part-time job to help and assist with the under 16s at the time I was a bit um annoyed with the situation that had occurred so I wasn't really keen on taking it up I spoke to my parents and they said look it's a foot in the door for you and yeah. who knows what will happen you've seen how, thick, how quickly things change so I ended up accepting that role within two weeks the other guy who was meant to come in um, part-time and assist wasn't able to when I was made full-time within two weeks and Fantastic. it just shows how quickly things could change so in that role I was um, basically a youth development phase coach assisted with the 16s every day um and then did the day release sessions with the youth development phase teams so the under 13s and 14s in the day as well um and when I started I was awful I was a really really bad coach I had no idea what I was doing really but managed to watch a lot of sessions while I was at the club um watch the 18s train watch the 20s ones train when I was doing sports science and then when I got into coaching managed to watch quite a few good coaches that were around me um so I did that for a season then I led the under 14s age group for two seasons um, and then I moved to lead youth development phase coach and did that I think 18 months to two years and got an opportunity then to so I was assistant under 18s coach for one season and after that season uh, I was offered the role of assistant head of coaching and moved back into the youth development phase with the under 14s age group so took that on and then this season, I've been lucky enough to be um, offered the role of head of coaching at the club. So I've had probably 10 seasons at the club now, a lot of variety in what I've done. And I think that's sort of given me really good experiences uh, in my development and in my journey as a coach. Ryan, you've also worked in analysis, I think. Was it at Colchester United? Yeah, that was that was really brief, if I'm honest. Um, yeah. When I was at uni, 
just did a little bit of work experience. It was literally filming games, coding them, like very, very basic coding, like yeah, yeah, of when course. the team's playing out from the back. Um, this is how long ago it was. He didn't upload it to Huddle or anything. I was burning <laughs> DVDs um, on the dining room table in my uni digs. And yeah, it was, it was a good experience, but I don't think I got a lot from that experience because I wasn't really involved. I didn't really speak to coaches. I was literally there, film the game, leave, do this, send it yeah. to the analyst, and that was it. Where moving into Swansea then, I was a lot more involved speaking to coaches, speaking to all the other support staff, gave me a real good um, understanding of what academy football is like. So can you tell me about kind of your current role at the moment and what it involves? Yeah, so my current role, I look after all the coaches and sort of help them with their development, find ways where I can add value to whatever their plans are in the future. So if a coach wants to be a, a first-team coach, what can I do to help him get there? Is it in coaching? Is it in his leadership and management skills? Does he present well off the pitch, which is a big part now of football um, coaching roles? So that's one thing I do. So I look at, we have development plans with the coaches. Um, they set some targets, they set some goals, and my job is to facilitate them moving and meeting those goals. Um, there's also stuff around the, the curriculum, our style of play that I oversee now. So I've taken that on from our last head of coaching, ensuring that our style of play is evident when we do play, and also ensuring how and what the coaches are coaching is relevant for the level of players they're working with. How do you facilitate them, Ryan? Um, I do it in a, a number of different ways. I think I go out and watch sessions and will just say to a coach, oh, look, I think you could have maybe stepped in here. That was a great opportunity to coach. You've maybe missed that point. Have a look for it again next time. Or when you gave that intervention, you were using this sort of methodology, but you didn't quite, you were using like a walkthrough type uh okay. intervention but you didn't get the defenders uh shape in the right places so then the transfer of learning probably isn't as high as it could be because the context has changed slightly yeah so when that picture changes it's a it's a bit of a different um as an impact on what decisions the attackers make and sort of their skill execution and other things so um i'll sit with coaches get them in the office and just speak about their session talk about session planning what they're hoping to get out from it and just say, like, if you're putting that condition on, have you thought of this might be the outcome or that might be the outcome that the players might solve it in that way? Um, signposting them to other people. So getting coaches and saying, oh, look, go and speak to this guy. He's really, really good. Go and have five, ten minutes with him on a Zoom. Pick his brains about something you're really interested in. Brilliant. And then also um, I saw CPD for the academy luckily we got a budget this year and we've managed to get some really good uh, external speakers in and hopefully that's really adding value to the coaches as well and I guess some of my stuff with maybe the older coaches the pro face coaches who are more experienced and probably better coaches than me yeah is maybe giving them some theory to underpin uh, and then help their understanding yeah. of why they do what they do and then that gives them again hopefully a bit of a sort of a spark to go and have a look at all right what's constraints based coaching what is that what are games for understanding let's go and have a read of what some research looks like and then that's what I do as well is give coaches resources of go and have a read of this have a look at it um, and see what 
their interests are and I guess the final bit as well is getting them to present. So we've started doing, uh, we're calling them ignition talks. We are where coaches uh, deliver on a topic of interest to them. It doesn't have to be football, it can be about anything. And it just sparks debate and interest amongst the staff. We have a Q&A session after their presentation. And it, it gives us a little bit of an insight into who they are as a person, which is really important as well when you're working alongside these people day in, day out. If you can have that sort of human connection, not just work colleagues, I think it adds to a really productive environment. How do you think the, the watching of the sessions benefited you? And did, did you have a chat with the coaches then that you would have been watching and, and asked them and, and pick pieces out that you were intrigued about that now you can like feed forward to the other coaches that you're observing? Yeah, that's definitely one thing I did. So I'm, I'm quite a curious person. So I will ask a lot of questions. I think some people get annoyed with me at times when I'm asking, why are you doing that? Because I think I'm having a go, but I just want to understand where people are coming from and gaining that understanding of why people plan the way they do is really important because one thing I've got to be aware of is now trying to work with these coaches is that I'm not trying to make them carbon copies of myself. So I like to coach in a certain manner in a certain way, but I can't expect everyone to coach like that. Um, so it's understanding how they coach, why they coach in that way and where can I add value in their sort of coaching repertoire that I can go, right, okay, you do this really well. Have you thought about this as well, though? I'm not trying to sort of change them into mini-me's because no one would want to be coached by me all the time. Uh, it's good to have that variety of different coaches and different personalities. And that's where I think uh, watching sessions in my current role, I'm starting to see there's so many different ways that people coach. Um, so we've had some... We've got some really good staff at the club. One of our coaches, he's very autocratic. He's very demanding. And that, that's got some really good results in the performances from the team. But then we've got coaches on the complete opposite of that who are, um, they like to sort of work with the constraints-led approach to coaching. And they they design the problems and let the players solve it themselves. And but I don't know what's right or wrong, but as long as the players are developing and improving, I think that's the biggest thing that we've got to look at maybe we can be more effective with some of our communication and things like that. Um, but going back to the question really, because I've gone on off, off on a bit of a tangent is yeah. Watching sessions and seeing what people do really well. When I was observing as a sports scientist and as a young coach, I probably stole little bits of that. And then I use some of those stories, I guess, to talk to the coaches now and say, Oh, look, this was a, saw this in a session prior previously. And this is how it, panned out because they did this this and this so I think that's a big thing and that's one thing I'm learning as well is the storytelling is a really big part now of developing people and getting them to learn is if you can sort of uh, capture their attention with a good story they're more than willing to buy in then rather than it just being facts and quite maybe cold and blunt if you can get a bit of a story in there I think they really buy into it Ryan, can I ask a question about some of the other coaches that you mentioned before and saying to them to buy into research almost and a constraints-led approach and different things like this. How, how do you go about getting some of those older coaches to buy into the research? Not only because they have to, because obviously you're telling them to, but how would you sell it to them in a certain way? Um, look, they don't have to buy into it. If they choose, it. it's not for them. It's not for them. People learn in different ways, and I've got to respect that. I'll just give resources to the coaches and say, look, here's an opportunity to read this. It's a, it's a scientific journal. 
have a little read of it, see what you think and some of the language they might not understand. But um, like we had a we had a really good presentation yesterday. One of our lead phase coaches was um, giving us a presentation on skill acquisition and one of the older pro phase coaches who's got a, a background in playing and hasn't really come through an academic background was saying, oh, I really, really enjoyed that. It's made me really think about what we do, how we do it. So I, that's another thing I'd like to create is like this culture of everyone helping each other to develop and learn. So yeah. getting other people to present rather than it just me being me all the time, it gets people an opportunity to voice what they're interested in and um, they get to do a little bit of research and then it sparks debate. So then say now someone wants to learn about skill acquisition, they can go, I'll go and speak to this coach because he's just done a presentation and done loads of research on it. And I'm not, I can't give everyone hundred percent of my time all the time. Yeah. So it allows me to signpost and go, right. He's a really good person for you to speak to. Go and speak to him. Yeah. Almost like a facilitator. Yeah. That's probably what my job is. I'm, I'm not here to tell anyone exactly what to do. I'm here to help and try and find ways to, improve them in areas that they probably need developing in to bring it back to you now as a coach what is your kind of unique style of coaching or like coaching philosophy if you have one um i'm i think we've got to pose the players challenges in training and not always solve the problems for them um so i'll i'll use constraints in my coaching practices to try and modify behavior or try and modify like the defensive shape in order to give the attackers a problem. And then within that, give the attackers time to solve that situation, whatever it might be. So if we told the defenders, look, if every time you win the ball in a wide channel, you get a point. Shape the defender's behavior in a certain manner is probably going to mean that they protect the middle first and force play out wide to try and press. Yeah. So if that's the case and that's the trap, what the attackers do to solve it, give them a few minutes to try and come up with things. And then I'm quite big on Q&A. I do like to ask questions and challenge plays understanding um, and try not to ask like the lead in and close questions, try and leave it open and let them elaborate on things and challenge buzzwords. I think that's a big thing I've seen. Um, like you'll say to a player, for example, or what's really important when we're playing up from the back and I'll just say like ball speed and it's just a buzzword. It doesn't, it's, it's got some sort of meaning behind it, but it's, it's then delving into what does that mean to you? What does that feel like to you? What does that look like to you? And then you're starting to challenge their thinking and they're getting to think about things at a deeper level rather than just the surface level. Coaches set, set problems, give them different experiences in training and then sort of question them on what they're doing, why they're doing it what are they seeing and then look when things are going quite badly um for a long long period of time that's probably where i step in and go like have you thought about this this and this yeah look if they do this what would you do now what what you see in here so i'll do walkthroughs but it'll be walkthroughs still questioning so i'll sort of manipulate the defenders and go oh look they've started pressing high now where might space be for us oh now we can play over how are we going to do that or oh, we'll play into our nine what does that look like okay, now you're in tier nine. What are we looking for now? Well, runners from midfield. Okay, so what's the nine got to be thinking of? And then we ask a lot of quick questions. So an intervention might take a little bit of time, but hopefully they get a lot of learning from it. Is there ever a time where you've had conflicting views or conflicting philosophies? Um, not really at the moment. It might happen a bit further down the line, but I think 
I've just got to respect everyone's got their different styles. And what we'll see is over a longer period of time is if maybe if we're doing this like constraints led approach, maybe the it's taken too long to get to a point where we want to get to. So maybe we need to add a bit of autocratic coaching into that. Or is the autocratic coaching just hitting a point for now? And then in a few weeks, it that point's forgotten because they're not being told what to do type things. Um, so I think it'll be quite interesting to look at that uh, over a longer term thing and see how our teams are performing and our individuals are performing um, and whether the coaching style has any impact on that and the longevity of maintaining information if a certain coaching style really really works maybe for the foundation phase and that, that helps them keep information in their brains for a little bit longer we might have to go look this is how we'd ideally like to coach we're not saying you have to but at some point in the sessions we probably need to see some of this because it helps with their attention um, and then maybe in the YDP it's a little bit different in the pro phase it's we're now preparing them for first team football where some modern day coaches are get sort of like ownership on the players. They co-construct ideas with the players, but some are still very autocratic and will tell players exactly what they want from them. So we've got to give them the variety of that. Um, and again, I, I do think the top coaches do flex a little bit and get, they work with the players that in a manner they feel that is most beneficial so even though one of our coaches might be mainly autocratic, when he speaks to an individual, he might then start asking him a few questions to challenge his understanding a bit more. So I think that's the, that's the skill of the coach is being able to flex between different styles and knowing when's the, probably the best time to use it, when's the right setting with the right individual as well. Yeah, that was going to be my next point was well, how, how do you almost like define a good coach and it usually is that dynamic or, or flex style, as you mentioned there. And in, in your role, uh, I'm, I'm guessing now, I'd, I'd, I'm not 100% sure, but would you have a, a big involvement in recruitment of coaches for the different age groups in, in the academy, would you? Yeah, so that was a, a new experience for me. I, I came into the job and I think I've sat on three or four interview panels already for coaches and it's interesting. Um when you have a coach that in front of you and you ask them some questions and you get a feel for them. And I think one of the big things that we look for is are they the right fit as a person as well? So I think Swansea is, it's a bit of a unique club in terms of like geography. We're a bit out of the way from everyone else. Um, we're quite, uh, I'd say we're quite a friendly club. We're quite welcoming. So we want to invite those people into our club as well that keep um, those sort of cultures and values alive. So that's one thing we look at really is um, when we interview, what is that person going to be like? How do they fit? How do we think they'll fit with others in the current coaching staff? Will they come in and cause a bit of conflict or will they come in and, and look, there's nothing wrong with conflict, but it's got to be in the right manner or will they come in and ruffle nearly everyone's feathers? And then we start to question, is that the right fit for us? And then also they've got to have that technical and tactical sort of understanding. But I think the, the person fit is probably the biggest part because then we can upskill them in areas, hopefully, of coaching and understanding our philosophies and our style of play. That's our job to uh, educate them on that. If they're the right fit as a person, that's, I think that's the main thing for us. So a lot of different learning experiences, like you have, for example, like the degree, you've done your badges, you've obviously had the practical experience at Swansea. 
Out of interest, just really quickly, which one was, was of most benefit to you, do you think? I know all of them have their merits, but which one do you think gave you the biggest advantage in coaching? Um, out of all those, none of them. Because the biggest thing for me was first lockdown. Um, going and picking the brains of people from different industries. So um, I sat, I spoke to a hostage negotiator. I met a bloke who was like a human intelligence officer in the army in the military spoke to him loads and he's now helping us with the working with the club and he's brilliant um i managed to speak to rob howley who's ex-lions coach and wales coach Stuart lancaster who's ex-england rugby danny carey who's england hockey i've managed to speak to some of these people and just pick their brains on different things and that's opened my mind up but the big thing is a lot of the courses we go on at the moment is about like the technical and tactical understanding that we have and yeah. like, oh, how do you incorporate all four corners into a coaching session? There's not a lot going on for like leadership and management or how do you, how do you become effective with questioning if that's a style that you like to use? Yeah. So speaking to a hostage negotiator about how he questions people and how he gets, like our job should be easy. We're getting boys to play football. They want to play football. Yeah. He's getting people to come down off a bridge when they're thinking of jumping off it. Yeah. Like, okay, he's not getting them to jump off. He's getting them to walk down safely. But it's um, it's speaking to people with expertise in a different industry that's really, really opened my, my mind and my eyes. And it's got me really curious about loads of different things. So that's probably been the biggest thing. And then I guess all the other stuff together has just sort of given me a a well-rounded experience of what football is. I think a lot of coaches might just focus on the football side and just focus on coaching and the football when the sports science side is a massive aspect, especially if you're in youth football with boys going through peak height velocity and how, how does that affect how they're performing when they're losing a bit of coordination because they're growing? Do you understand that? And if you don't understand that, are you doing your plays a disservice? also stuff to do with how the the brain develops so like the, the frontal part of the brain how that develops a little bit later so it affects decision making and emotional control do, do you understand that if you're working with young players or are you making decisions based on a place in our decision making is awful but right now his brain probably isn't developed in the right way that he's yeah. able to make really effective decisions that's why you see kids are so impulsive and massive risk takers um so I think doing a degree really helped in a, in, a, in a discipline that wasn't football. And then I guess the coaching badges did help me get an understanding of coaching, how to set up sessions, how to deliver. And then speaking to people outside of football and experience myself, because I, I self-reflect really, really in a lot of detail. I'm quite deep when I think about my reflection and I will go into, uh, was I speaking too fast to the players? Was I speaking... Was I too loud at that moment in time? Is my tone of voice making them quite on edge or things like that? So I think a lot about that. So that's... Another Ron, sorry to interrupt you. Do you think that deep self-reflection helps you like to a massive extent or have you had to measure it? I, th I think it's a massive thing. Um, I think without that, it's like you can do 10 sessions and not reflect and those 10 sessions probably look very similar and very samey you do yeah. 10 sessions and you reflect after it you start tweaking things and making changes and sometimes those changes aren't for the best you might make a session worse but you've tried something and now you know what 
probably doesn't work as well as it should or what works really well. So I think self-reflection is really big. Um, for me, one of the biggest things, and it's something I want to get into the coaches that we've got at the club is curiosity. Finding yourself being curious about something and going and finding out loads about it and getting a real good understanding because what you'll find is you'll go and research something and the next thing you know, you're researching something completely different, but it's got a bit of a, a link to the initial thing you researched. And then before you know it, you've received, we've researched loads and loads and loads and you've got a decent understanding of a topic. And now you can start going and picking the brains of experts in that area to sort of consolidate your learning. And now you might have a new sort of tool in your coaching toolbox or in your development. So I think it's really important that curiosity and self-reflection, I think it's stuff you can control, which is a big thing. It's not going to be, oh, I'm going to self, I'm not going to reflect for you. I can't reflect for you every time because I'm not there. I don't know how you're feeling. Your emotions will play a massive part in how you behave. So I think the coach really has to self-reflect, be curious, and as well be self-aware. How are they perceived by others and the way they behave? How does it affect others around them? That's brilliant there. That's fantastic there on the team. Can I ask one quick question? On the first guy you mentioned in terms of you saying that you were learning, I think it was the intelligence officer? Yeah, him or the hostage negotiator, they're quite yes. similar with how they work. Um, what what exactly have you learned from him in the, uh, that you've been able to apply to your own coaching? Um, hostage negotiator is a really big one where he talks about um, it's just little tricks he does. So I, I've been using it on my little boy. So if if you give someone a choice or you you make them feel like they've got a choice, they end up doing more things for you. So I'll just use the example of my little boy is he, we went to the zoo. He wouldn't put his hat on. And I just asked him, do you want to wear your, your hat forwards or backwards? Oh, I'll wear it backwards. So now he's got his hat on. So now we're happy. So it's um, giving people a choice is a really big thing. Um, both the hostage negotiator and the guy from the military, they talk about like Ted's pie. So Ted's is the first word and pie is the second. And you take a bit from each to form a question. So Ted's is, tell explain describe show and pie is precisely in detail and exactly so the the example we had from the hostage negotiator was um if someone said to you are well, how did you get to work it might be quite a like a surface level response like oh, i just drove it but then if you said tell me precisely how you got to work it might be oh, i got in the car I take this road, oh, there was traffic today, so I had to take this road. I ended up coming in and I parked, I, I don't know, I parallel parked on the side of the street and then I walked from there to here. So just adding those little modifying bits really helps. So when you've got the tactics board out and you're talking about maybe our shape in a press and you say to the winger, right, show me exactly where you need to be. He starts moving it, but then he also starts talking about different things, why yeah. he's doing it. So it gives a bit of an understanding. Um, the other thing that was quite good, um, emotional labeling. Uh, so I'm not an expert in this, but I try and use it. So it's like you have to put it in your perspective. So like we've been talking, so it's, I can go, ah, oh, like after talking for a little while, it feels to me like you're a bit annoyed. So it might be a player's a bit upset or whatever it is. And 
he says they normally do one of two things. They either confirm that emotion or they end up uh, correcting you. And then once they correct you, then it gives you a bit of an opening to start questioning. Oh, okay, so I said to you, you feel frustrated or annoyed. And you go, no, I'm really upset. Oh, why are you feeling like that? Oh, something's going on at home. Then it's opened up a window now to gain a deeper understanding into that individual, which is, which is really good. And How do you deal with pushy parents? Um, in an academy setting. A few people have asked it and they want to know from the sidelines. Maybe it's on a smaller scale for them, but in terms of your job and your role, how do you deal with pushy parents? I think honesty is a big thing. So being honest with that pushy parent. So if they're going to be saying my son's the next Messi and he's not, I think we have to be honest and get their expectations on a similar level to ours. And I think that's probably a big thing is if our expectations are aligned to what the parents do, they're only pushing them to what we expect, yeah. not above and beyond, which is probably where the conflict arises when they're saying, oh, my son can do this, this and this. And we're going, well, actually, we feel he's here. And I guess having evidence to show that, I know it's difficult if you're a grassroots coach to get footage, but if there's some sort of evidence that you can provide the parent and go, oh, you're saying he's this, um, he never gives up, he's unbelievably hardworking and he deserves a place in the team, and you can go, well, actually, can you remember when we played so-and-so last week and the boy went past him and he just stopped running? That doesn't. Those behaviours don't align to what you're saying. So it's somewhere there's a bit of a... It's not consistent or however you want to describe and say, maybe we need to work on the consistency of it. Maybe he's got it now, but tomorrow he might not, depending on his mood. And I think you just got to be honest with parents. Um, you've got to gain their trust. And you've probably got to show a bit of credibility. So if they go out, oh, you know what, he's a decent coach, I trust him. They leave you to it. I think it's when they feel their son's probably not being treated fairly is when they'll go, right, this isn't right. It's not fair on my son. You're, fa you're showing favoritism to another player. Yeah. And I think that's where, as a coach, we've got to be fair to everyone, treat everyone the same. Our job is to make every player, every individual better, um, try and make them better people as well, because we know not all of them in the academy are going to be professional footballers. And we just got to give care and time to these, these young players and show them that, look, we really care for you. Everything we're saying is not personal. It's to make you a better footballer and a better person. And if the parents can see that, you're coming from that angle, that probably helps as well. Yeah. I love the the gain trust and credibility end of things. I think that's so important in, in the relationship that you have. Um, I'm reading a, a book at the moment and one of the chapters in it, the last chapter that I read is about, it, it's on myths and sport coaching and everything. So the, the last chapter is on parents and kind of the myths around them being like the toxic element to it when it's not really the case. It's just misunderstanding of relationships and how coaches can actually like assist them in adjusting their expectations of the child and everything as well, because expectations change as, as the child grows, just as the child's expectations will change. But the parents are obviously looking at it from a different perspective. So that was a, that's really good. And just to, to go back on the, the hostage negotiation question and everything, I don't know if, if you've read it or listened to it, but I read, um, now it's the difference by Chris Voss over the last year and it's a brilliant book it, like that he's a hostage negotiator so if it's something that you're interested in I'd, I'd recommend giving that a read yeah he, he did a really good podcast um, he did one of the high performance podcasts and he, and I was, yeah. he was quite an interesting guy to listen to um, and what I will say is 
with with the parents i think most of our parents are pretty good i think educating them is a big big part of it as well and making them feel part of a process there's nothing worse than them not feeling a part of their son's development and that's probably when you get a bit of uh complaints or a bit of moaning that oh, i don't feel a part of this i'm i'm just stood on the sideline i'm not allowed to do anything they're telling me off for saying anything and I think we just got to educate them what what's the best way to support their child because it, it is difficult they will look at their son in a way that they're the best and I'll probably do it with my boy when he starts playing some sort of sport and I think we've just got to be realistic at times and go look we know he's your son and you feel that way however this is how we view it and I think they will appreciate that honesty as well. Ryan, that's perfect. And I'd like to finish on that note. I just want, before we go, a quick summary, your main tips to take away for the listeners out there, the coaching listeners out there. Main one, be curious. Uh, go and find stuff out. Find something you're interested in and go and read about it. There's so much information out there on social media, Google, YouTube, wherever you learn, however you want to gain information. There's so much out there, go and look at it. Whatever it is you're interested in, there'll be something on there that you can learn from and be open-minded with it. Don't just read what you normally read or speak to the people you normally speak to, go outside your normal circle. 